Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the stadium, the atmosphere crackled. For England, this was the most eagerly anticipated match for months. The first battle for the men's football team in their bid to win the World Cup. But for the opposition, the tension was about more than football. Now, before the game, none of the Iran players sang the national anthem of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Well, there were visible acts of protest in the stadium by some fans against the actions of the Tehran regime. Numerous shirts and banners displayed the protest slogan, Women, Life and Freedom. As you can see, another banner read, This is not Iran's national team, it is the Islamic Republic's team. These acts of defiance spread wherever Iran appeared on the world stage. There was the rock climber who refused to wear a hijab, or the chess player who did the same, the Iranian fans holding up banners. They provided a glimpse of the much bigger pro-democracy protests that have continued for over four months across Iran and the Iranian diaspora. Unprecedented scenes in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Schoolgirls across the country flouting the law, some uncovering their hair, many even chanting death to the dictator. Protesters have taken to the streets across the world, from London to Paris. There have been protests in neighboring Iraq, Turkey and Syria. Dissent in Iran brings terrible consequences. The authorities have unleashed a ferocious crackdown on protesters. My friends and I were out protesting at night, and we were arrested. We were tortured, sexually abused. Members of Iran's notorious Revolutionary Guard, or IRGC, have been singled out on the internet for the brutal treatment of peaceful protesters. On the 9th of January, hashtag IRGC terrorists was tweeted more than 320,000 times. How much longer can the protesters continue to risk everything? Could these protests outlast a regime determined to cling to power? 
You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the price of revolution in Iran. So this big crowd had gathered outside Rajai prison and they'd heard that two prisoners had been transferred to solitary confinement in preparation for execution. Ramita Navai is a foreign affairs investigative journalist, author and the former Tehran correspondent for The Times. She's been following events closely from abroad, including this protest late at night on the 8th of January in the city of Karaj, just west of the capital, Tehran. Now there's video footage of the crowd outside the prison. The crowd is angry and they're chanting, I will kill whoever kills my brother. And they're also chanting, this is the last warning. If you execute, there will be revolt. The mother of one of the men feared to be on the brink of execution is also outside the prison. And she's desperately begging for the life of her son. There's also video that night where you can hear gunshots. And people have said that that was the regime firing. We're not sure if they were firing in the crowd or there were warning shots. These two young men, who were transferred to what we think is death row, haven't been executed yet. So activists are saying they haven't been executed because of this protest. Now, while it may not have saved their lives, it looks like it definitely bought them time. Because of that, protests now have been springing up across the country at night, outside prisons, when word spreads that prisoners are being transferred to different cells. And Ramita, those aren't the only protests taking place across the country. And we've seen a whole spate of them now since September. We've spoken to you about this before, about what's happening in Iran. But just as a reminder, what sparked them off? The death of a 22-year-old Kurdish-Iranian woman called Mahsa Amini in the custody of Tehran's morality police. Now, she was visiting Tehran with her brother and she was stopped by the morality police who told her that she had bad hijab, so she was inappropriately dressed. She's arrested and then, next thing, she's in a coma. And she dies shortly afterwards. She was tortured, according to eyewitnesses, says Irfan Mortezai, Mahsa's cousin, living in self-exile in Iraq. She was tortured in the van after her arrest, then tortured at the police station for half an hour, then hit on her head and she collapsed. Now, after her funeral, there are mass protests in her Kurdish hometown. And that sparks mass protests and outrage throughout the whole country. Women across Iran are setting their hijabs on fire. They are tired of being beaten up by the morality police for not observing strict Islamic dress code. And soon women are taking off their headscarves in solidarity and the Kurdish chant of women, life, freedom became the chant of the protesters, as did 
death to the dictator. And those protests, you know, as you say, they suddenly spread like wildfire across the country. Just give us a sense of the sort of people who were protesting. So this is the biggest threat the regime has faced since its birth. And that's because protesters are from every ethnicity, every age group, and every social class. And there have been protests in every single one of Iran's 31 provinces. There's never been such sustained protest for such a long time in so many areas of the country, across so many social classes, including so many different ethnic groups. Mm. So this is unprecedented. And it's clear that the regime is really scared of what's happening. Now, let me tell you a story. So about a month ago, some hackers hacked into FARS news agency, which is Revolutionary Guard owned. And so very close to the top of government. Yes. I mean, they are government. They have guys in government. So, you know, MPs, ministers, many of them are former Revolutionary Guardsmen. Now, it's the most powerful force in Iran. They're very loyal and it controls the Basij, paramilitary volunteers who number in their millions and other thugs usually used to quash dissent. So Fars News writes this bulletin and it's highly classified and they send it to their top commanders in the Revolutionary Guards, right? And the hackers hacked into this bulletin And it's absolutely fascinating. And put it out to the world. Yes. And what does it say? What does it say? First of all, and this is what's really extraordinary, that the regime itself is calling these protests and this uprising a revolution. They use that word. Wow. Also, the bulletin breaks down what they think they're up against, which is they think 70% of the population against them supporting regime change. Remarkable. and the protests. It's, it is remarkable. It's really remarkable. It paints a picture of a really, of a crumbling system, right? Of the regime flailing. Do they have a plan? I mean, like, when you know you're up against 70% of the country, how on earth do you think you're going to fight that? Well, what was clear from this bulletin is that they have no plan. They're completely unprepared and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to react. And it seems that the Supreme Leader Khamenei is trying to micromanage everything. But he's also not happy. So he's criticizing his top officials. He's criticizing their inaction. And he's criticizing them for not knowing how to react. And Ramita, we first spoke to you about this a few months ago when the protests had just started. Have they carried on at the same pace? How have they changed over time? The protests have carried on at the same pace in Kurdish Iran and in Baluchistan, in these two provinces. Where street protests, big crowds have continued. This hasn't slowed. And these are areas where ethnic Kurds and Baluchis have been particularly targeted by the regime. And the numbers of protesters killed by the regime have been disproportionately from these ethnic minorities. But the protests have changed in other parts of of the country. So the gatherings aren't as big anymore. Street protests, big street protests and big gatherings happen, but they're sporadic. But what's happening now is that these protests are taking on new form. So people are gathering in smaller numbers. People are protesting 
in their neighbourhoods. They're no longer gathering in big public spaces where they feel more vulnerable. They're protesting outside their front doors with lookouts, ready to tell them if security forces are coming so they can get into their homes quickly. In terms of the causes that they're now protesting, you know, it started off with women's rights. It started off with not wanting to have to wear the hijab when you're outside. What else do they now represent? Iranians are demanding regime change. That They're really, really clear about that. That now is the chant, that's the cry, that is the demand. And they want cultural, social, political freedoms. And these are demands that can never be met by the Islamic regime because they're fundamentally at odds with its ideology and its values. Are there also complaints, you know, about the state of the economy? Iran's economy was already in a bad state, right? So about a year ago, the cost of living dramatically soared. Since the protests, the Iranian's currency has crashed against the dollar, hitting record lows last month. And inflation has reached nearly 50%. That's the highest it's been in about 30 years. 50%? Yeah. So never mind the fact that the economy was in a terrible state before, it's now even worse. And this is inflaming the protesters. This is making them even angrier. And actually, it's a powder keg because protesters, they will not stop if they have nothing to lose. And more and more Iranians now have nothing to lose. Coming up, the protesters who've paid the ultimate price for freedom. That's in just a moment. I'm Matthew Campbell, Foreign Features Editor at the Sunday Times. I've always had a hunger for news, finding out things about parts of the world away from the beaten track. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. Ramita, just talk us through what the regime has done since the protests began. How have the authorities reacted? Well, so, so far, over 500 protesters have been killed, including at least 70 children. 70 children? 70 children. Over 20,000 Iranians have been arrested and imprisoned. Quite a few people, we think at least 10, maybe more, have been killed in custody. The regime security forces have also blinded hundreds of protesters by firing rubber bullets and birdshot directly at protesters' eyes. It's been brutal. And when protesters are arrested, when they are imprisoned, what what do we know about the conditions they're being kept in? Conditions in prisons are horrific. There's severe overcrowding, and temporary detention centres have been set up. We know that prisoners have been raped, tortured and beaten, and they are being raped, tortured and beaten right now. They're being forced to sign confessions. Many don't have access to lawyers. When they do have lawyers, many of these lawyers representing protesters have themselves been arrested and imprisoned. For representing people? Simply for representing protesters. Now, when protesters are bailed, They have to hand over the deeds to their houses or to their parents' houses. They're also being blackmailed. So there are reports emerging of girls and young women from traditional conservative parts of the country who are being videoed naked in a sexual way and being told that if they abscond or if they protest, the regime will release this footage. The regime will release yes. footage of them naked yes, while telling them to wear a hijab on the streets? Yes. What are they being charged with? Acting against national security. And they're being given very long prison sentences. Now, either Muharrabe, which is waging war against God, which under Iranian law is creating public insecurity by threatening people or property with a weapon, um, but it's pretty broad. It's kind of a catch-all, right? The other charge is Fesada Felars, corruption on earth. 
And that's usually used for major sexual and financial crimes. So like running a brothel, embezzlement. But it's so open to interpretation, it's also being used against protesters charged with things like disinformation, mobilizing demonstrators. So really... Counts as corruption on earth. Corruption on earth. Wow. Yeah. Corruption on earth and waging war against God, they're capital offences. Oh. So those facing death sentences are charged with either waging war against God or corruption on earth. And so far, four men have been charged and executed on those grounds. Nearly 30 people are at risk of imminent execution. That means they can be killed at any time. Over 80, maybe 100, maybe more, as you can imagine, it's really hard to get accurate figures out of Iran, have been charged with capital offences. Ramita, just give us a little sense of who those four men were. The first man to be executed was Mohsen Shekari. That was in December. He was a barista in a coffee shop. On the same day, he was hanged. Majid Reza Rahnavar was executed. He was a wrestler. He had a shop. His shop has since been seized by the regime. The third man to be killed is Mohammad Mehdi Karami. Remember the prison where we started this episode, in Karaj, just outside Tehran, where the crowds were gathering. Mohammad Mehdi Karami, the third protester, had been hanged in that same prison just days before that protest. So Mohammad Mehdi was a 22-year-old karate champion when his family visited him in prison, he told them he'd been tortured. So the state broadcast a video of him. And in the video, he confesses to hitting a militiaman on the head with a rock. He seems really distressed. It's clear it's a forced, forced confession, and, and that's how the regime operates. Journalists and family members weren't allowed in the courtroom. But reports say that he was given less than 15 minutes to defend himself. Mohammad Hosseini, now he's slightly old, he's 39-year-old volunteer children's coach. He's the fourth man to have been hanged. Now, both his parents had died. So he had a lawyer who spoke out about how vulnerable Mohammad was. He had bipolar, and his lawyer said that he cried a lot, spoke about being tortured and beaten in prison. His lawyer was then swiftly arrested, although he's now out on bail. As he didn't have family to support him and to help campaign for him, Iranians started sharing posts about him saying, we are all Mohammed's family. It's incredibly moving to see the way the public are rallying. So one thing these men all have in common, the men who've been killed, is that their families were not allowed to see them before they were executed. So the regime's really kicking the boot in, you know, this is psychological torture. And has that had an impact? Are people being scared away because of it? Do you know, it's, it's remarkable how fearless the young have been and how fearless they are right now, despite this brutal crackdown. But this crackdown, you know, is one of the reasons that some of these protests are not happening in, in, in great number in the way they used to, because so many, so many Iranians have been imprisoned. Mm. 
But protest does continue. It's just taken on a different form. But it has, yeah, it, ha- it has, you know, you're absolutely right to ask that question because that's exactly what the regime's strategy is, strike fear in people to stop them protesting. So far, that hasn't been very effective. Ramita, the Iranian regime has been back in the headlines again for a slightly different reason. And this is the case of Ali Reza Akbari, who was suddenly executed. Tell us a bit about him. Ali Reza Akbari was a British-Iranian dual national. He was also a former Iranian deputy defense minister under President Khatami's more moderate government. So this man, he was an original revolutionary. He fought during the Iran-Iraq war in the ranks of the Revolutionary Guard. So this man was establishment, right? He then leaves politics for business, moves to the UK. Now, he said he returned to Iran in 2019 after he was invited by a senior Iranian diplomat. And then he was promptly arrested. This is something else the regime does, by the way. It lures people back. People, it sees as a threat. People like dissidents, like activists, and former establishment figures who it thinks may no longer be on side or who it can use as bargaining chips. Now, he's charged with spying. State media broadcasts a confession, again, as it always does. In this confession, he doesn't say he's a spy, but he does say that he provided advice to the British authorities. So before his execution, he sends an audio file of himself describing how he's endured thousands of hours of torture. But by the way, so this, he's not a protester. No. Do we have any sense of what he'd done to suddenly draw the anger of the regime? Well, first of all, we know that the regime uses dual nationals as bargaining chips, as bargaining chips to negotiate the release of prisoners held in other countries, also as bargaining chips to persuade other countries to go back to the table and agree on a nuclear deal. The talks involved Germany, France, Britain, China and Russia. The U.S. has been involved indirectly. The EU says it's now up to those nations to either accept or reject the deal. The 2015 pact lifted sanctions on Iran in return for guarantees it will not build a nuclear weapon. U.S. President Donald Trump walked away from that deal four years ago. And as bargaining ships against sanctions. The U.S. has imposed sanctions on seven Iranian officials, including the interior minister. EU foreign ministers agreed to target Iran's so-called morality police. We then imposed sanctions on Iran's prosecutor general, Mohammad Jafar Montazeri. His designation is the latest of over 40 sanctions imposed by the U.K. on the Iranian regime since October. So Iran is in a pretty sticky position right now, and it needs all the leverage it can get. So someone like Akbari is, is perfect leverage. We also know that Iran's red line would be if the IRGC, if the Revolutionary Guards, was prescribed as a terrorist organization. Last week, in the House of Commons, 
MPs expressed cross-party support to do exactly this. The government must now prescribe the IRGC either through the existing process or through amending the National Security Bill to create a new process of prescription for hostile state actors. But the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, wouldn't commit. The uh, future prescription or uh, sanctions designation of individuals or entities is not something that we uh, speculate about or discuss at the dispatch box. However, he should know um, that we share the revulsion that he expressed at the dispatch box. As I said, we do not limit ourselves to the actions that we have already announced. And I have spoken uh, with uh, His Majesty's Ambassador for Tehran and will, of course, be speaking with uh, other parts of government about what further action that we can take in response to uh, the vile behaviour of uh, the regime. The fact that this execution took place even before the IRGC had been prescribed here in Britain, Mm -hmm. it shows that any negotiating between Iran and the West, particularly Britain, doesn't seem to be working. What's going on behind the scenes? What's the bigger picture here? Okay, so relations are pretty bad right now, as you can imagine, especially after the execution of a British citizen. That certainly hasn't helped. On top of that, the West accused Iran of supplying Russia with hundreds of drones and countries are urging the UN to investigate whether Iran is in breach of Security Council resolutions. Iran is desperate for the lifting of sanctions since the failed nuclear deal. It needs a nuclear deal, right, which would potentially pave the way for Iran to make billions of dollars in oil as exports. This is money Iran desperately needs. Mm. Now, prescribing the IRGC a terrorist organisation of course, makes that deal seem pretty unlikely. Yeah. And that's why Iranians are desperate for it to be prescribed a terrorist organisation. Not only would it scupper that deal, but actually for the regime, the IRGC, it's their pride. Now, it seems laughable, but the regime does care about its reputation, especially when it comes to the IRGC. And it's unthinkable for the regime that the IRGC would be considered terrorists and be on the same list as al-Qaeda and ISIS. So this has, as you can imagine, inflamed already bad relations. And Ramita, it's so interesting, you know, as you say, having the IRGC prescribed weakens the regime, having the sanctions weakens the regime. At the same time, though, I suppose it makes it harder for anybody in the West to be putting pressure on the Iranian regime to stop killing protesters, to campaign on behalf of those protesters. I think the Iranians have have seen now that no amount of pressure is going to stop the Iranian regime from cracking down. The Iranian regime is in a fight for its survival, and it's shown that it's going to do anything. So Iranians now are saying they want absolute isolation of the regime. And by prescribing the IRGC, that means more sanctions and that makes it more difficult for other countries around the world to transact and have dealings with the IRGC. And also it does pave the way for other countries to act against it and that's what Iranians want. They want complete strangulation of the regime. They think that's their only hope. How do you see this ending? And 
Are you still hopeful that it'll end well? I think like many Iranians, I don't want to lose hope. I've always been slightly more pessimistic about the situation than some of my colleagues. So I remember I was talking to some very esteemed colleagues, an academic and an analyst, about two months ago, so kind of halfway in, and they predicted that the regime would fall within a year, eight months to a year. I didn't see that happening then and I don't see it happening now. I do think it's a matter of time. There is no turning back. Society, culture, life has shifted and it's shifted forever. And I tell you what's happened. Iranians have glimpsed a world in which the clerics are not in charge. They've glimpsed a world of freedom in which there is no Islamic regime. And once you've glimpsed that, there's no turning back. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, former Tehran correspondent for The Times and foreign affairs investigative journalist, Ramita Navai. You can find more updates from Iran at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. You can hear more from Ramita on her podcast, The Line of Fire, and she's also the author of City of Lies, Love, Sex, Death and the Search for Truth in Tehran. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find this episode. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.